Welcome to the Advancing Women Podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status quo, advance their careers, and up-level their lives. The Advancing Women Podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Welcome, warriors, to the Advancing Women Podcast. So last week, I talked about FOMO, the fear of missing out, making way for JOMO, the joy of missing out. And I really started thinking about why it is that women especially must be sensitive to the fear of missing out, even the cost of missing out, how societal expectations and negative consequences of gender bias can result in missing out on future opportunities, loss of professional capital, and even missing out on promotions or advancement the very real consequences for women that come from just saying no. How for women especially, saying no can be so agonizing. And I started thinking about how shifting from FOMO to JOMO requires us to shift from the guilt of no to the joy of no. And so I turned back to an episode from last year, one from the first couple months of the Advancing Women podcast, an episode titled The Art and Agony of No. And I wanted to reiterate some of the key points from that episode within this context. If we really are to make way for the joy of missing out, which in turn makes way for our true passions and purpose, for the projects, for those bold, radical, audacious goals that drive us, creating the things that bring joy and feed our soul, it all begins with understanding the power and the potential joy in saying no without guilt and ideally without gender-biased consequences. Because the act of creating, feeding our soul, often requires saying no to the many soul-sucking projects and commitments that we so often struggle to say no to. So this episode is about the crucial art and complexity of saying no without guilt. And I'm not saying it's easy. Of all the advice given to women, I'm not sure anything has been as oversimplified as the advice to just say no. Because the language of just say no too easily lends itself to the blame the women mentality. You know that you're so busy because you don't say no and we do it to ourselves. It's our own fault, that whole narrative. And this is a really great example of what I mean when I preach the importance of empathy, meeting pragmatism. Yes, we must learn to say no, but we don't have to own the blame and it's not ours to own. And I'm certainly not knocking advice about creating boundaries or having a say in our lives, controlling our own narrative and saying no when we need to. I'm totally on board with that, but we do need to consider with compassion Why saying no, while difficult for many people, can be especially difficult for women? And putting the blame on the shoulders of women themselves when it comes to taking on too much or when it comes to us being afraid of saying no is oversimplifying a complex problem when what we need to do is acknowledge the agonizing process of saying no and the patterns of bias that drive that discomfort, hesitation, fear, and the guilt that often comes with saying no, especially for women. And I've listened to many podcasts and read many articles focused on this topic. I was listening to one the other day that was focused on creating more balance. And the host was discussing women not being able to say no. And she said that women are often so busy because of our need to be perfect or look good to others, to impress others. That women say yes so that people will see us a certain way. And I'm not saying that there isn't any truth to this. 
but it is truly a gross oversimplification. And it not only lacks compassion, it doesn't enough consider why women so often feel concerned with how they're perceived. It's not a personality difference between men and women, but rather it's often social norms which guide this type of behavior and contribute to our hesitation to say no. To suggest to women that if they would just stop having such high expectations for themselves or everyone else and just stop saying yes to everything, then we could have this perfect Zen life that it would all be in balance is neither empathetic nor accurate. And again, all you warriors listening have heard me say many times in previous episodes that this podcast is where empathy meets pragmatism. And nowhere is that more the case than with the idea of saying no. Saying no is difficult, especially for women, for a host of reasons, and we need to understand the complexity of those reasons, the external patterns of gender bias that influence this, and the processes we need to address the structures and societal expectations for women that are so different from those of men. A multitude of research shows that there are indisputable social costs for saying no, which are higher for women. There's a disproportionate fear for women to say no because there are disproportionate consequences for women when they say no. And for working mothers, this can be even more magnified as we try to meet the demands of a workforce designed around this women as caregivers and homemakers and men as breadwinners. Because despite women working in almost equal numbers, we still often carry the lion's share of the home and child care responsibilities, which can result in feeling guilty. Guilt that results from real shaming when we fall short on either front, the home or the work front. And again, with social media and the very public digital world we live in today, this can even be more complicated and even more agonizing. The thing is, when we work and we have other obligations, we feel the expectation not to let anything slip. If we let work slip for family as a woman, our commitment and competence will be questioned. But if we let home slip, our commitment to family and even our priorities will be questioned. So there's all this gendered social cultural baggage women have to carry and these very real patterns of biased social norms and expectations that contribute to why we find saying no so challenging. Saying no comes with a lot of judgment and often consequences for women. And so we need a mindset shift. We need to acknowledge and deconstruct how and why we feel the agony and guilt of no. And that mindset shift starts with acknowledging that it is not your fault that you are made to feel this way, but it is your problem. It's important to acknowledge why we're struggling, the stereotypes in society, the descriptive and prescriptive biases relative to how women should be, that women are nurturing, sacrificing, supportive, team players, We're conditioned all of our lives to believe this. So saying no often runs contrary against the grain of what is typically expected of women. And there's so many mixed messages, especially the work advice that is contradictory. Messaging that women at work should be tough, but also make sure you're likable. You need to be assertive, but don't be seen as bossy. Ask for what you want, negotiate, but don't be a nag. Know your worth, but don't be audacious. Be seen as committed, but just say no more often. See, the thing is, contrary to these often oversimplified messages, the advice to just say no, it's actually not that we as women don't understand the concept of saying no. We often want to say no, but the be nice, prove it again, show your commitment programming is often so strong that we say no in our heads and then hear ourselves saying yes out loud. And the research on this confirms that this fear of saying no is very real. 
When women turn down requests from their bosses, they are not only more likely to feel guilty, they are also more likely to face real backlash from their managers and leadership. That decision to say no will often result in leadership inserting stereotypical rationale as to why they believe you as a woman have said no. There are these well-entrenched expectations for women as it relates to service and to saying yes. Historically in the workplace, women have been expected to serve, to be supportive, to steadily hold the ladder in place for men to climb. After all, we're the nurturers, the sacrificers, the nice ones, the team players, and there's a real hangover from that stereotypical mindset in terms of the types of projects women are often offered, whether it be consciously or subconsciously, and they are different than those that men are offered. We are too often asked to take on housekeeping types of projects that are needed, but don't move the needle in terms of our success and our advancement. So for example, I work in academia where committees and service projects are plentiful, like most places. And there's a lot of research that shows gender differences and how university faculty spend their work time. The consequences of all the things we're talking about here, the research unsurprisingly shows that women faculty spend more time on campus service, student advising, and teaching-related activities, while male faculty tend to spend more time on research. And guess which one is more likely to move the needle in terms of promotion? No surprise, it's the research. And this is the norm in many fields. Women taking on service, saying yes to things they are asked to do, but that don't move the needle because men are often more likely to be asked to do the things that do move the needle for them. And they're more likely to say no to things that don't and to be allowed to say no with less judgment. And this provides opportunities for them to put themselves in a high-profile position for promotion. And so we have to interrupt that pattern so that it isn't working against us. But it's not easy when often the people doling out the request don't see it. They don't see the bias. They don't or won't acknowledge the unconscious bias. As I often say, you can't clean your house if you don't see the dirt. And even though the research is clear that women are often asked to do lower profile, more housekeeping type of projects, we tend to see organizations thinking, yeah, I hear you, but that's not how it is here. Well, guess what? That is exactly how it is here. Acknowledgement is a crucial step in correcting the inequity. And I've talked in previous episodes about prove-it-again bias patterns, where women must prove their competence, ability, and commitment over and over again, much more so than their male counterparts, which results in this feeling of, what have you done for me lately? And you begin to feel like, if you say no this one time, their perception of you will immediately change, despite all the times you said yes. And even though you know you've made the right decision to say no, or that saying no would be the right decision, you can feel the fear of being perceived as being not committed enough. The idea that maybe people are just going to dismiss you now because you said no and you're not going to get any opportunities again. And that is that FOMO, the fear of missing out. The fear of missing out is well-founded and it really applies here in a little bit of a different way because you're worried that you're missing out on future opportunities with every no. I read a study asking powerful women CEOs how they felt about saying no. And one of the CEOs said, quote, you know why I never say no? Because I think of the consequences of someone else saying yes, end quote. 
And that is the problem with tokenism, the perception, the reality, really, that there are very few spots for women at those top-level roles of pay, influence, prestige, and power. So if only one or very few women can make it, if there are indeed fewer opportunities for women at the top, can we really afford to say no ever? And this is part of why it's hard to say no, because it's always in the back of our mind, this idea that if we say no, somebody else is going to say yes. And now that opportunity for you to advance somehow slipped through your fingers. And that's a lot of pressure. And all this on top of the very real knowledge that ultimately, unfortunately, unfairly, this is still very much a man's world and women who want success and advancement are expected to adapt. And this too can result in women feeling that saying no will result in them being disliked or being left out in the future. There's the fear that saying no to any project you're asked to take on will be pointed to when promotion and advancement decisions are being made. Like if we say no, when those better, less housekeeping type of opportunities come up, We won't be offered this because they'll point to that one no as evidence of our lack of desire and commitment. And that's what's going on. And we have to be prepared for it so we can interrupt it and do what we can to create a narrative that's more favorable, to create circumstances that are more favorable. Because it is our problem to deal with, even if it's not our fault. And so I'm going to share a few tools, some strategies to start to move from the guilt of no to the joy of no. And the first part, the most basic part, but a crucial part is it is not my fault, but it is my problem. And because it's my problem, I have to deal with it in ways that serve me. And so my first piece of advice is to be skeptical of the social media posts and articles and messaging in the media that says things like, learn to say no without offering an excuse. You are not obligated to make an excuse. And I'm sure you've seen these quotes, things that say no is a complete sentence, that type of narrative. And although I agree in theory that we should be able to say no without explaining or defending as men so often do, I'm not convinced that given the biases we've talked about here and that are very clearly shown to be the case in the literature, that this is a strategy that will ultimately serve women. It is critically important for us as women to own our narrative. And I'm not advocating for over-explaining or justifying, but rather I'm advocating for ensuring that you, not others, you own your narrative. Because too often, organizations will point to our no as an excuse to exclude us from opportunity in the future. If they can ease their culpability by believing that we can't take on those leadership roles because of our family obligations, they will immediately go to this tried and true narrative. And that is terrible for women's advancement. That biased women can't step up because of their kids and their family and their home obligations kind of narrative is not just unfair, but it is inaccurate because often we are also doing a lot professionally. And why should our family obligations be the excuse for organizational leadership's lack of equity in advancing women? It is really important to provide your reasons as explanations and to focus on the many key projects and initiatives that you want to continue to deliver on with your usual excellence as the rationale. Let's not let others provide narratives that don't serve us. I don't want somebody else providing their insight and their narratives on why I've made the choice I've made to say no. Why should my home and family responsibilities be the reason and not all the professional work commitments and things that I'm doing and working on on a regular basis be a part of the narrative? Which narrative serves me better? Which narrative serves women better? 
it's important we shape the narrative, not the biases, assumptions, and social norms that people want to use to shape the narrative in ways that justify inequity. My next strategy is to be mindful in our decision-making process, to interrupt it. We need to focus on the actual work aligned with the project we're being asked to do, not the perceived accolades, titles, or bullet points that are going to be on your resume because you've taken on the additional project. And this is really important because it's about how you're going to feel as you're doing all of the work if you say yes. And this is challenging because often all the words that are used when you're asked to take on the big unpaid service project that isn't going to help you in your advancement or your joy, all of that language has that ego boosting feel. And that's strategic. And I know you know the language. You're being asked because of your unique skills or talent or expertise, because you always get things done. You have the necessary leadership qualities. And we focus on all that ego-driven, manipulative language that's designed to impact our decision-making. Words that boost our ego and take our eyes off the real work that we have to do if we say yes. And we have to be mindful of the work, not the words the work, and all the projects that are already on our plate, and all the opportunities and big ideas that are likely to come in the future, ideas that are more exciting, interesting, and motivating than what we're maybe being asked to do. And we have to ask ourselves if the project is aligned with our bigger growth and advancement goals, with our joy, with our professional priorities, or the things that move the needle for us, the things that move the needle for the advancement of women. And so we have to ask ourselves these difficult questions before we make the decision. Whenever I coach a client who's feeling overwhelmed or really struggling with time management, taking on too many projects, not saying no, I ask the most basic question. And it's a critical question that I advise you all ask yourself when you're in these situations. And that question is, what will I have to say no to if I say yes to this? You can't just focus on the yes. You have to think about the things you'd have to say no to in the future, potentially. And this speaks to having that set of goals, that advancement plan in mind, or even that personal plan in terms of what you want your life to look like, what is going to bring you more joy and fulfillment. Does this request align with your goals? Does it align with your joy? What are the benefits and the consequences of saying yes to this? If the benefit of saying yes moves you in the right direction of your goals or makes you more joyful, that's great. But if saying yes doesn't bring you any closer to the big picture goals, then it's likely going to take valuable time away from the types of projects that would help you get closer to your goals, that would bring you more joy. And that's important to remember. And another strategy I will offer is to be aware of, critically careful of what I call the passion trap. And this one is a big challenge for me when the work being presented is potentially aligned with my passion. I often will be presented with opportunities as they're positioned that do interest me and that do involve areas that I'm passionate about. And I really have to fight the immediate urge to just say yes. And I would coach you to take a breath and contemplate the ask Even if it's work you may enjoy, you still have to weigh it against what you might have to let go of or say no to in the future if you say yes. We need to be mindful and to stop and think about how others will sometimes exploit or leverage our passions to get us to do more 
unpaid work. Unpaid work that will often be underappreciated and underrecognized and will not bring us joy or move us towards our advancement goals. So to that end, I have another strategy. I strongly recommend creating boundaries around free work, no matter how important the work or ask may be. Be mindful that volunteer requests like this are often packaged in language that is complimentary, inspiring, motivating, and may actually be a cool project. And it may be positioned as the highest compliment that you have been asked or thought of. So to say no can be really challenging. And this is where boundaries can serve us. As Brene Brown says, quote, daring to set boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves, even when we risk disappointing others, end quote. And those boundaries can protect us. One strategic boundary that I recommend is to commit to taking on a few non-paid service projects per year, maybe three. Give it a distinct quantifiable number. And this will help you to really think about what you're saying yes to. And this is important in shifting your mindset from saying yes or no based on how busy you are at the moment versus taking on projects that may be more aligned with your goals in the future and how saying yes to this may prevent it. So even if you're not as busy at the moment and someone asks you to work on a non-paid project or a service project, you might be inclined to quickly say yes. And this is one of the biggest mistakes we make, making the decision because we happen at that moment to not have a lot on our plate. So we say yes to the moderately appealing project because it feels like we can do it at this moment. But then what happens, of course, because you're freaking awesome, because you're a warrior, because you're a badass who always gets it done and gets it done well, you know that more requests are on the horizon. And when you fill your not as busy time with mediocre projects, you risk not being able to say yes to fabulous future projects where you bring real value, where you're excited, where you're going to want to say yes, because those are the types of projects you actually want to be involved in, where your unique value and expertise, your excitement, your fulfillment are there, the projects that feed your soul. But now if you say yes, you have this project along with these other three mediocre projects you're bogged down with. So then what happens? What emerges? Resentment, frustration, anger, dread for the work associated with those other projects. And this is why boundaries can be so crucial. It is very fair to say no. Even if the person asks nicely, even if you're moderately interested, your time, your life is yours. And it is fair and healthy to create boundaries that help you and serve you in the long term, that serve your joy and your pursuit of your passions and your purpose. So when you're asked to do more free work and to be sure The more free work you do, the more free work you're going to be asked to do. Remember that if it's truly an important project and you are very important in the project, it's okay for you to ask if there's opportunity for you to be paid or for you to be given something of value in return for your time or a reduction in other projects or commitments. You get the idea. And if you don't want to do it, it's okay to just say no. You don't need or want to over-apologize, and I've talked about this in other episodes. Despite being conditioned to be nice and to please others, over-apologizing does not serve women. But you can be clear, and you can own the narrative of your no. Time management and the way we prioritize our work and our lives, these are not things that we need to or should have to apologize for. We must interrupt the social conditioning that doesn't serve us and get comfortable with the joy of no, let go of the guilt of no, and start to shift your mindset to the joy of no. 
And so I will end with this manifest statement this week. JOMO, the joy of missing out, can only happen if we commit to JONO, the joy of no. So when you consider taking on those projects, that free work, you're being asked to give not only your talent, but your time, your time. So if it's not a hell yes, then make it a hell no so that you can make space for the joy, the rejuvenation, and the potentially glorious opportunities the universe has in store for you. For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com and connect on Instagram at Advancing Women Podcast. I love getting your feedback, so please email me at drdsimone at advancingwomenpodcast.com. I just want to thank Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior who wrote the music for this podcast, and a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior who designed the Advancing Women podcast logo. And thanks to all of you for joining me here today.